You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hello and welcome. We are embarking on a study of the revelation about Jesus Christ, more typically called the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the timing of the rapture in the book of Revelation. What I offer you is a synthetic view of when in the sequence of the end times the rapture will occur as reported in the revelation about Jesus Christ. I call it the rapture in the revelation, a synthetic view. For those who hold to the deity of Christ, the mere suggestion that Jesus lacked knowledge about anything is tantamount to denying the faith. Yet Jesus said, But concerning that day and hour of my return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Matthew twenty four thirty six. Why did God the Father keep the return of his Son a secret from even the Son himself? Given the nature of man, one possible answer is obvious. If a man takes chances while not knowing the day, imagine what he would do if he knew the day and hour. Every generation before that last generation would feel safe to live as they please, converting to Christ just before death, assuring salvation from the fires of hell. Therefore, that an explicit reference to the rapture of the church is absent from the book of Revelation is no surprise, since Revelation's purpose is to set forth a detailed understanding of the events that will lead to God's physical reign upon the earth. An explicit reference to the rapture would have been uncharacteristic of God's wisdom. God knows how best to keep his people watching and waiting. Since an explicit reference to the rapture is not expected in the revelation about Christ, we can look for indirect references or implied references. Seen by many conservative evangelicals as the most important event yet to occur for believers alive on the earth, the rapture holds no small place in their thinking. Judging from the historic success of the Left Behind book series, terrorist attacks, and the growing worldwide persecution of Christians, many cry, even so, come Lord Jesus. That scripture promises that a final generation of believers will one day evacuate alive from the earth to the heavens 
in the company of Jesus Christ and his angels receives little debate among rapturists. Our debate centers on the timing of God's intended removal of believers in relation to his planned consummation of human history as we know it. Until a little less than 30 years ago, two views dominated the discussion about the timing of the Lord's return among rapturists, pre- and or post-tribulation. The mid-tribulation position had a small following, as well as the partial preterist position. Each camp on the rapture question has committed followers of Jesus Christ as adherents. Dr. John F. Walbert was an advocate of pre-tribulationalism, having studied at Dallas Theological Seminary and spent time in his company. I can testify to Dr. Walbert's love for God's Word. He was a giant of the faith in modern times in the eyes of many that he believed the church would be taken before Daniel's 70th week makes him no less an honorable man. Dr. Gleason Archer, Jr., on the other hand, followed the mid-tribulation viewpoint. He argues that Christ returns to rapture his church at the midpoint of the 70th week. I never met Dr. Archer, but I have read and utilized his writings. Dr. Archer distinguished himself as a good exegete of God's word, that he believed the church would be taken at the midpoint of the 70th week before the Great Tribulation makes him no less a serious student of the Bible. Dr. Douglas J. Moo, who serves at Wheaton College, endorses a post-tribulational rapture. As, as Blanchard Professor of New Testament, Dr. Moo has demonstrated an outstanding mind for New Testament exegesis. That Dr. Moo believes scripture to teach that Christ will return at the end of the 70th week to rapture his church after the Great Tribulation and after the six trumpets and six bold judgments make him no less a committed follower of Christ. Dr. Ossie Sproul, founder and past chairman of Legionnaire Ministries, held a partial preterist view of the Lord's return. Essentially, preterists teach that Christ came in the first century while some of his original disciples were still alive. The Lord raised the dead, changed the living, and caught up both groups together in the heavenly presence of Christ. Dr. Sproul is more accurately described as a partial preterist, i.e., that most eschatological prophecies, i.e., the destruction of Jerusalem, the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, and the beginning of the Day of the Lord, were fulfilled in connection with the A.D. 70 destruction of the Jewish Temple or the Neronian persecution. Sproul argues that the Second Coming resurrection of the dead, and the final judgment are yet future. Sproul was a, was a good man who loved and taught scripture with integrity. The number of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who hold each of the positions stated above is many. Logically, however, it makes sense that the correct position on the timing of Christ's return 
is more likely some combination of these views. Given that each view is based on the same passages of Scripture, it is arrogant and illogical to conclude that only one of these positions is absolutely right in every sense and the others are wrong. Yet, given the differences regarding the question of timing, it is true that only one position is true on this simple question. The question that each position is attempting to answer concerns the timing of the rapture. This continues to be an irreconcilable difference. Countless hours and gallons of ink are spent to prove the other positions wrong. Scholars continue to search for that one argument that will settle the debate in favor of their respective positions. The sad result is that the discussions have gotten so trivial and the distinction between words so technical that the average follower of Christ simply cannot follow the arguments. The price of this continual infighting, on one hand, is an uneducated laity convinced that this truth is beyond their grasp. On the other hand, committed godly men and women support the various rapture positions with a fierce devotion to their position. For now, the debate is purely esoteric. No real danger exists, for all things continue as before. However, one day there will be a world full of people called upon to be that final generation of humanity to experience the climactic events of this world order. The old adage that end-time events will all pan out will not be taken so lightly by the generation that once they realize they are in the pan. The starting point for a synthetic view. The Church of Jesus Christ has an exemption from the eschatological wrath of God. On this point, Post-tribbers like George Eldon Ladd and Robert H. Gundry, mid-tribbers like Gleason Archer and J. Oliver Boswell, pre-tribbers like John Walvert and Leon Wood, a partial preterist like R.C. Sproul and N.T. Wright, are in agreement. The message of 1 Thessalonians 1.10, that Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, that God has not destined his people for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, is unmistakable in asserting that believers are promised to be delivered from the eschatological wrath of God. The questions begin in light of this fact. Precisely, what is the wrath of God, and when? does it occur? What method will God use to deliver his people? Complete removal out of the world or merely protection while in the world? If, in fact, God evacuates the church into the air, where will the Lord take it? On up to heaven or immediately back to earth? These are odd options. 
if the church is taken up to heaven, how long will it remain there? Seven years? Three and a half years? Several hours? Rapturists also agree that God's plan to remove the church from the earth has a connection to that final seven-year period prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27a. That the seventh week of Daniel is yet future receives support among most rapturists. The debate concerns whether God removes the church before, during, or after this seven-year period. There are pros and cons in each of the traditional rapture positions. Pros and cons of the pre-trib rapture. Fairness demands the recognition that each rapture position does have explicit biblical support for a particular emphasis germane to its position. Equally, each position has an explicit biblical contradiction that prevents its acceptance as the orthodox view. Pre-tribulationalism strongly maintains a separation between national Israel and the church. This position teaches that both entities have a future in God's economy. However, the flaw of the position is the presupposition that God cannot or will not overlap his divine plans for national Israel and the church. In other words, God cannot work with both Israel and the church at the same time. To maintain this false assumption, pre-tribbers insist that the church is a parenthetical incession between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. At least classical dispensationalists would hold to this position. In the pre-trib thinking, it, is nat- it naturally follows that since the 70th week is a continuation of the Jewish economy, the church must be removed before its resumption. Pre-tribbers are adamant that God must finish his work with the church before the Jewish economy can resume. A second flaw is a pre-trib insistence that the entire 70th week of Daniel is the wrath of God, thereby requiring the church to be raptured out of the world before the 70th week begins. This, in their minds, prevents scriptural contradictions. These are assumptions without explicit or implicit biblical support, in my view. There is no explicit biblical support that says the entire 70th week of Daniel is the direct wrath of God. In fact, the first half of the 70th week allows the Jews either to see their temple and sacrifice, sacrificial services reinstituted or at least continue. Likewise, there is no biblical basis for the pre-trib claim that there is no overlapping of dispensations. Scripture contradicts this claim. Most agree that the period during which God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name, Acts chapter 15, verse 14, 
began on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Lord's resurrection. Three days before our Lord's death, he prophesied the destruction of the temple, then standing in Jerusalem. Thirty years after our Lord's death, the Roman general Titus destroyed the temple. This is clearly an overlap of two economies and explicitly undermined the pre-trib notion that dispensations do not overlap. The pre-trib position is contradicted by 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1-12 as well. The Apostle Paul sets forth an explicit chronology concerning the Lord's return. Notice, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God." Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth, so to be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The first verse of Second Thessalonians 2 establishes that Paul instructs believers about the church's rapture at Thessalonica. The Thessalonians are not instructed to look for the sudden appearance of Christ in the air. Rather, they are given an outline of events that will precede that day. This passage is so unmistakably contradictory to the pre-trib position that pre-tribbers find it necessary to reinterpret or cause any and all possible interpretations that would remove a rapture reference. Pros and cons of the mid-trib rapture. Mid-tribbers take a fundamental distinction in the nature of the seventh week as their uh, clear interpretation. Daniel is different in, in their persuasion. The seventh week of Daniel is different from those of the pre-trib position in this sense. Dr. Gleason L. Archer, 
indicates two sources of wrath during Daniel's final week. When speaking of the wrath issue, he writes, it simply regards the first three and a half years during which Antichrist will increase his power and mount his persecution against the church as a less tribulation, not nearly as terrifying or destructive of life as those fearsome plagues that will dominate the last three and a half years. In other words, this interpretation makes a clear division between the first half as the period of the wrath of man and the second half as the period of the wrath of God. For the reasons adduced, we understand that the final generation of pre-raptured church will be subject to the wrath of man, but spared from the wrath of God. Close quote. Dr. Archer continues that when we speak of the wrath of man as the distinctive feature of the first half of the week, we mean that the wrath of Antichrist and his associates in government is the dominating feature on the stage of this drama. But as the second half of the week comes into play, with the church safely removed from the scene, the indignation of the Lord breaks forth with overwhelming supernatural power. Hence, we rightly speak of this period as the wrath of God. Close quote. Mitribers correctly recognize a distinction between the wrath of Satan and his Antichrist and the wrath of God. But the flaw of their position is the incorrect assessment of the relationship between the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan in connection with the 70th week. Daniel 9.27 indicates three and a half years of tranquility for Israel, followed by three and a half years of intense persecution at the hands of the prince who is to come. New Testament scriptures emphasize that Satan, the beast, and the false prophet will execute a reign of terror against the people of God during the second half, 42 months, of the 70th week. And Revelation 12, 12 to 14 explains that this final three and a half year of persecution is Satan's wrath executed by the lawless one, wherein the wrath of God is not explicitly identified. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 through 17 indicates God's wrath begins upon the earth, beginning with the trumpet judgments. And Revelation 15, 1 explains that the bold judgments are the end of his wrath. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 through 22 indicates that once the wrath of God begins, nothing and no one will be exalted above the Lord alone. Therefore, God's wrath must end Satan's wrath. They can't both run at the same time with equality. Therefore, the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God must be evident during the second half of Daniel's final week. This, in part, contradicts the mid-tribbers who insist that only God's wrath will be evidenced during the second half of Daniel's final week. A second flaw of the mid-trib position is the explicit contradiction of Jesus stated in Matthew 24, 36, that no one knows the day and hour of his return. To place the rapture of the church at the midpoint of the 70th week 
would remove confusion about the timing of the Lord's return. Therefore, the mid-trip position must be rejected. You can't nail it down to within moments of what we call the midweek of Daniel. The pros and cons of the post-trib position. The post-trib position answers the timing of the rapture question in a unique way. Like the mid-trib position, post-tribbers recognize the involvement of both the wrath of God and the wrath of Satan during the final week of human history as we know it. However, post-tribbers offer a different explanation for the order of events and the timing of the rapture. Dr. Douglas Moo explains that the Great Tribulation will be the persecution of the saints by Antichrist and will continue for a large portion of the second half of the final week. The wrath of God will be concentrated in the last part of the week. The wrath of God is limited to the eschatological day of the Lord, which Dr. Mu, Dr. Mu argues is a decisive interpretation of God for judgment and deliverance. Since the eschatological day of the Lord involves both the judgment of God and the deliverance of his people, post-tribbers argue that the eschatological day of the Lord and the great tribulation cannot be the same event. In fact, Dr. Moo writes, several factors suggest that this is not. First, no reference to the eschatological day in the New Testament clearly includes a description of the tribulation. And second, Malachi 4-5, with the coming of Elijah, and Joel chapter 2, verse 30-31, the cosmic portents, place what are generally agreed to be tribulational events before the day. And third, Paul seems to suggest in 2 Thessalonians 2 that the day cannot come until certain clearly tribulational events transpire. Close quote. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 indicates that the man of lawlessness is revealed before the day begins. Therefore, post-tribbers contend that the eschatological day of the Lord follows the period called the Great Tribulation, that occurring at the beginning of the second half of the 70th week. Since Paul teaches that the coming parousia of Christ ends the reign of the man of lawlessness, the parousia must come at the very end of the 70th week, i.e. post-tribulational. This is Dr. Few, Dr. Moo's reasoning. Dr. Moo writes, quote, The parousia is indispensably post-tribulational in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, 27, 37, and 39, as well as 2 Thessalonians 2, 8. On the other hand, the parousia of Christ is explicitly stated to be an object of the believer's expectations in 1 Thessalonians 2.19, chapter 3, verse 13, James chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, and 1 John 2.28. If then believers are exhorted to look forward to the coming of Christ, and this coming is presented as post-tribulational, 
it is natural to conclude that believers will be present during or through the tribulation. Close quote. Like the mid-tribbers, post-tribbers are see the final week of Daniel evidencing both the wrath of God and the wrath of Antichrist. Thirdly, but differently from the other two positions, the eschatological day of the Lord and the great tribulation do not cover the same time period during the second half of Daniel's 70th week. But the day of God's wrath follows the time of Antichrist tribulation. Now, the flaw of the post-trib position is its placement of the rapture too late in the sequence of end-time events, in my view. This conclusion forces post-tribbers to insist that believers will be caught up in the air and immediately returned to earth. This view cannot be harmonized without serious problems with the sequencing as outlined in the revelation about Christ. By placing the rapture near or at the end of the 70th week, there is insufficient time to allow for the three critical events to occur. Thus, those events must be reinterpreted to fit a post-trib context. First, a sequential fulfillment of the trumpet and bold judgments as I believe the text indicates, must be abandoned for some form of recapitulation. Second, the Bema Seat judgment, which occurs, which must occur before the Battle of Armageddon in order for the saints to accompany Christ at his return, must occur while the sheep are in the air. Now, to be sure, that is, it is not absolutely necessary that this is the sequence, but this is one that I think is a possibility. This makes a sheep and goat judgment on the earth unnecessary. Third, the salvation of Israel's remnant and some Gentile converts to populate the millennial kingdom will be impossible and require unbelievers to enter the kingdom of God if the rapture occurs too close to the end of the 70th week. Yet scripture is emphatic that unbelievers will not enter the kingdom of God. The post-trib position contradicts this. This contradiction is recognized by post-tribbers, but no satisfactory solution has been given to my knowledge. The correct position must allow sufficient time between the rapture and the battle at Armageddon. Dr. Paul Feinberg outlined this necessity when he writes, quote, To begin with, it is important to see the need for saints in non-glorified physical bodies. While the millennium will see the radical reduction of evil and the flourishing of righteousness, sin will still exist. There will be sickness and death, according to Isaiah 65, 20, and all these are not usually thought of as a part of the life of those who have been glorified. Close quote. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 to 45, indicates that only believers will enter the temporal kingdom on earth. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 18 to 25, indicates that Gentiles and Jews 
will populate the millennial kingdom in non-glorified bodies. Since the fully glorified do not sin, and some earthly kingdom constituents will sin, the rapture must have an interval between it and the coming of Christ at the Battle of Armageddon to allow for the salvation of those non-glorified people who will populate the temporal kingdom. This is an insurmountable problem for most pre-tribbers. What is our conclusion? Since the dominant views on the timing of the rapture meet with scriptural contradictions, we must press on to find a biblically consistent view free of contradictions. And this we will look at in our next session. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 